And I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm, you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side, the crash of your thunder was in a whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord will stand forever. You may be seated. So as I've uh, pointed out other times, when you're reading through passages like this, through sections, it's good and helpful to find what are the repetitive words, what are the things that, what are the themes that the author himself is trying to bring out. And, And one thing that comes out in Psalm 77, uh, three different times, is remember and meditate. Remember and meditate. In verse 3, when I remember God... I moan when I meditate, my spirit faints. In verse 6, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. And then in verses 11 and 12, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Uh, The psalmist Asaph is in the midst of some despair, some sorrow. It's uh, generic so that we can apply it to our own trials and struggles. Uh, We don't know what exactly Asaph was going through when he wrote this. And he is looking for hope. And he's looking for a reason to hope. And as you read the psalm, there's not like a real, there's not a real kind of kumbaya, happily ever after at the end of the psalm. I mean, it, it has an upturn, but it's more of an upturn of the, a realization of there is hope. And I may not feel that hope right now. But even just knowing that God is the God of hope is helpful. But he tries two paths toward that hope, two paths of remembering 
before he, before he gets to the correct uh, path. He first, he wants to just, he tries, well, I just need to remember that God is God. Uh, and then he tries, well, that doesn't really work. And so then he tries, well, I just need to remember the good old days when life was better than it is right now. And that doesn't work. And then he realizes, I, what I need to remember is that not just that God is God, but that God is my Redeemer. That God is not just a God out there, but He is a God who is with me. And He has proven that historically. But before we get there, first we look at His first answers. He first tries to remember, hopes that, well, maybe if I just try to recall God, you know, just remember that God is God, and, and that will be helpful. Look at his desperation as he's seeking God. Verse 1, I cry. Verse 2, I seek, I stretch out my hands. Verse 3, I remember, I meditate, I moan, I faint. You know, I, I appreciate verse 2, I stretch out my hands. My hand is stretched out without wearying. All night I have prayed with hands lifted toward the heavens. Now obviously, or maybe it's not obvious to you, uh, in the Presbyterian church, we don't do a whole lot of hand raising and hand waving, but we should. I mean, sometimes you'll notice for the doxology, you're your worship team will lift their hands and they invite you to lift your hands in praise of God. When you, when you receive the benediction, uh, you ought to look up and extend your hands to receive God's blessing at the end of the service. There are many ways that we worship God with hands stretched out. Sometimes it's in praise and adoration. Sometimes it's in confession. God, look at me. I am, I am filthy. Wash me. The psalmist here is like a, like a child in despair. Like he just so desperately wants God to pick him up. My hand is stretched out without wearying. But what happens here? He says, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Even verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled I can't speak. Because sometimes just remembering God may remember truths about God, but not every truth about God is helpful all the time. I mean, every truth about God is always true, but it's not always the truth you need to hear in the moment. I mean, to remember God is to remember His power. God is in the heavens. He does everything that pleases Him, according to Psalm 115. You know, verse 4, the psalmist realizes if he's not sleeping, it's because of God. If God is in the heavens and does everything that pleases Himself... Is where I am pleasing to God? Is this, does this please God? And to remember that God is all powerful 
lead you very quickly to remember that he's holy, that he's perfect. And maybe I'm where I am because of that. Maybe this is no less than what I deserve. I mean, he touches on that in verse 9. He says, has God in anger shut up his compassion? Just remembering God in general does not bring comfort and help in times of sorrow and grief. There's something more or something else that is needed. And so Asaph looks somewhere else. He says, okay, well, what about, maybe I should just, you know, remember when life wasn't like this. I'll just remember the good old days. I'll remember when every family event was 100% joy. I'll remember those days of pure laughter. You know, I'll just, I just have to remember that, you know, we had some good times, didn't we? And so he tries this. He says, I, I consider in verses 5 to 10, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. But the problem is, like, that kind of, that kind of directive for, for finding hope or deliverance from despair, it, it backfires. It, it doesn't actually deliver you from despair. It deepens the despair because you're left wondering, are those days always to be the good old days? Like, is it? Will I only ever be able to recall historically good times? Is that my lot now? And, and you'll be left then either questioning God or questioning yourself. Like either God has changed or he hasn't, and this is actually all that I deserve. That's the, that's the path that just remembering the good old days takes the psalmist. Has God, in his anger, shut up his compassion? If you're only... Hope during despair is that God used to treat you differently, that your life used to be better than it is now, then you will naturally spiral into uh, self-loathing or God-loathing. The questions in verses 7 to 9 go unanswered, or else worse, the answer to all of them is the negative. Will rejection last forever? Will kindness return never? You know, verse 8, the the steadfast love, this is the, the chesed, the, the covenantal 
promise-keeping love of God. He is essentially asking, has the forever love of God stopped forever? Are his promises broken? Has he forgotten grace rather than my sin? Has his anger over sin trumped his compassion for sinners? Verse 10, if you look at your your Bibles, even in the ESV, there's an admission, there's a footnote that says there's another way of translating verse 10. Uh, Verse 10 can be translated, I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. Or the right hand of the Most High has changed without recalling more than general truths about God or general memories of the good old days, there is no actual hope. Those don't bring hope. And so how how does Asaph respond? Well, he tries a third path of memory. I will remember, in verse 11, the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, God, is holy. I mean, what God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You've made known your might among the peoples. With your arm, you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and and Joseph. I was driving to church this morning. It was almost pitch black. It was dark, uh, about six thirty. And as I as I came down uh, Embry Mill, down the hill toward Mine Road. Like when I came through that neighborhood, out across, just past the tree line, like I could see just a beautiful sunrise. Like the sun wasn't up yet, but like the, the colors were all there, oranges and purples and reds, and it was so deep and intense and just a reminder that that the darkness of the horizon that I could see was going to be overtaken by the light that I couldn't see but I could feel it I could sense it it was coming and I just had to wait And the psalmist looks and he says, I can't, I can't just look at my horizons. I can't just look at what's around me. I can't just look at even the horizons in the back of me. I've got to see more than this. And he looks farther into his history, farther into his memory. And he remembers, oh, yeah, 
God isn't just God. He's my redeemer. Isaiah 57, God says, I am the God who dwells in the highest of heavens. And with the broken and contrite. And we can sometimes see that God is in the heavens. We're all kind of handling this in very different ways, our family. And I'm very grateful that my son has... Uh, gainful employment because he he is purchasing things regularly. But we are all benefiting from it. And one thing that he bought very early on was a, a telescope. And like, I don't... Like, by calling it a telescope, you already have the wrong impression of what he bought. It's amazing. It's a crazy telescope. It's a telescope that when we went to North Carolina for Thanksgiving doesn't fit in the car telescope. Like couldn't pack it to take to North Carolina and share with the cousins kind of telescope. And one night, it was a nice night, and he's showing us things, and we're seeing the stripes on Jupiter and the moons around Jupiter, and we're seeing Saturn with its rings. And, and so he points to the telescope, and he says, okay, come here and look. And so I look, and I'm like, I don't see anything. He said, yeah, yeah, you do. He said, so look at the blackness, and in the middle, there's like, it's like someone tried to clean it. Like there's a, a grayish smudge in the middle of your view. I was like, oh yeah, okay. That's Andromeda. That's another galaxy. That's not a cluster of stars at the edge of the Milky Way. That's another Milky Way. That's another galaxy. And I stared into that telescope and I had to just stay there because I was stuck in my head and I said, I never doubted how great you are, God. It was never a question of how big and how majestic you are. I need to be reminded that you're here, not there, that you care. I know you're great. I'm struggling with whether you're good. And Asaph says, but then I remembered... Because Asaph looks back to this moment in the people of God's history when their entire nation was in darkness. They are slaves. Like they live lives of darkness and sorrow and grief. And God remembered. He didn't remember how good they were. He remembered his good promises. He remembered, I promised to be with you. I promised to deliver you, and I will. And, and then the Passover and the deliverance. And, and every year they would have this meal together because they would say, remember, remember, God is good. God is your Redeemer, 
Remember, at every, in the passages in Scripture that describe Passover, they admitted, listen, your kids aren't going to understand this. They're going to be like, why do we do this? Why do you eat the things you eat and drink the things you drink? And you're to say, because we were once slaves. And God remembered. And God saved us. And he delivered us. And not just at Passover. Every time, uh, every time they're, Oxen had their first male oxit, oxet, calf. I don't know. Uh, every time the little ram and you had their first male lamb. Every time mom and dad had their first male child, they would go and they would sacrifice. And the kids would say, why? And they say, because, because God redeemed us. Because we have a Redeemer who saved us, who delivered us from darkness, from slavery, from bondage. And he did it by the, by the death of the firstborn of our enemies. And so the firstborn are sacred to God. And so we remember that we've been saved And if I was a I was about to say if I was in the mood of being clever, but I'm about to tell it to you anyway, but I guess it was just if I was in the mood of writing down my cleverness, your fourth point would have been crossing the sea and seeing the cross. Because wouldn't it be nice Wouldn't it be nice if we had a meal for those who are kind of stuck at the dark horizons and can't quite look high enough to see the light? Wouldn't it be nice if we had a meal that we could come together and when our kids ask, why do you eat that? Why do you drink that? And we could say, because we were in darkness. Because we were slaves. And God remembered. And in the fullness of time, he sent his son. And he didn't save us by the death of the firstborn of our enemies. He saved us by the death of his own firstborn, his own son, sacrificed so that we could have hope Hope beyond just that it'll get lighter one day. Hope beyond, well, it used to be nice, but hope that is real and genuine and lasting. It's great because he says, when the waters saw you, God... When the waters saw you, they were afraid. In verse 16, 17, the the clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Who would have thought your way was through the sea, through the chaos, through the darkness, through all that frightens us? Yet your footprints were unseen.
when death saw you, O God, when death saw you, he was afraid. The grave trembled. The sky grew dark before your anger and your sorrow, for your son was killed before your eyes. The earth shook and trembled. You know, this, these last three months, I, I am not going to go off into like, oh, Leonard's become unorthodox. Like, I, I love the imagery of why did God rip the veil? Why did he tear the curtain? And the reality of like, because now the path between the, 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 the barrier to God is removed. He's ripped the barrier away. Now we can come straight to him. But in these last three months, I realized also, like, it happens when his son dies. And it's not just a, hey, it's all good now. It's a rending of the garment that covered God from us. He is tearing his garments over the death of his own son, that we would kill his son instead of worship him. You tore the temple veil like a father rending his cloak, and yet your way led through the graveyard. Your path led through the tombs, even though we couldn't see your feet. We didn't understand at the time. We have a meal that we get to remember not just better days, but that you have a Redeemer. That Ilona has a Redeemer. And I don't need to, I don't need to feel the hope to know the hope is real. Isn't that incredible like if I need to feel it it's going to be it's a pretty crappy hope sorry it's listen that's better than anything I was afraid I was going to say today (laughs) if I have to feel the hope all the time it's going to be a useless and meaningless hope the beauty of the hope of Christ is that whether you feel it or not it's true it's real. Amen. It's, it's, it's unchanging. And that's why we come to the table. To remember that Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed for us. That our hope is in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Father, thank you. Thank you for not leaving us in our misery, in our sin, in our hopeless estate. 
Thank you that you are our Redeemer. You are indeed the God who dwells in the highest of heavens and the God who dwells with the broken and contrite. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, our rock and our Redeemer. Please come quickly. Amen.